When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 61 of our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. Talk is cheap. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Scratch and Dan Duggan. We will talk about everything going on with the Giants here, including a loss in Buffalo in which the team did not look very good and really kind of a difficult week for the Giants. And stay tuned at the end of this podcast, kind of a sneak peek coming at you of a new football podcast from NJ.com. So that'll be coming up at the end of this episode. Right now, though, we get into the Giants and we get into what was a rough week. And James, before we get into the game, 21-0 loss up in Buffalo. You guys were there and it was it was ugly. Um, the Giants had bigger issues this week, and that was with their kicker, Josh Brown, suspended one game by the NFL. Uh, you guys did a lot of reporting on this and kind of the machinations of how everything happened here. So now there were a couple days removed from all of the news with Josh Brown. Uh, James, what's the latest, and, and really where do the Giants go from here? I know uh, on NJ.com on Monday morning when we're recording this podcast, there was um, a story you guys had up about how the Giants were working out some kickers, possibly for week one, uh, and then we'll see from there. But, James, where are you with this, and where are the Giants really with this situation? Yeah, Joe, I mean, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, domestic violence obviously is, is a major problem in our country and in the NFL. Um this is not really a pleasant subject to report on or to discuss. Um, it, it was, you know, kind of a rough few days for the Giants. I mean, where we are at this point is the Giants are not really saying anything. Um, and I, uh, in a second, I'll explain, I think, why they're doing that. But they're sticking by Josh Brown. Obviously, they're going to have to get a kicker for week one. Uh, Tom Obarski, the undrafted guy, uh, I think he was in Bengals camp last year, so he's not really a rookie per se. Uh, he missed a chip shot field goal on Saturday in that loss to the Bills. Pretty clear that they don't see him as being the answer. Um, they're reportedly going to have workouts today. Garrett Hartley is a name that's popped up. Um, they invited Josh Scobie, who's kicked for the Jaguars, a veteran. Uh, source told me he wasn't able to make it to this workout because it was short notice. So my, when I understand Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo basically made this decision – you know, Sunday afternoon, we're taping this on a Monday morning, that they were going to do these workouts. So Hartley's one guy we know. There obviously will be more guys. Those names will probably pop up in the, in the cut hours and day to come. Uh, but, you know, Browns, they are I don't think they're cutting Josh Brown. I think when people saw they were looking at veterans, they thought, oh, maybe they're going to cut him. They're going to keep Josh Brown. I just think that they're willing to potentially bring in a veteran guy so they have a kicker for that game. I mean, it's an important game. It's the Cowboys. It's week one. You know, it's first game under a new head coach. 
So they're going to try to get a kicker that they can rely upon. And I guess they're, you know, looks like they're willing to spend a little bit more money to bring in a veteran um, to make sure they have that sort of kicker. But that's where it stands now. You know, no one will say anything. I'm sure people have seen that on Saturday. And the Giants are sticking by their kicker, and but they're going to have to get a, a, an option for week one. When I first you know, read through all of your stories and all the reports and all the police reports, my first thought was that they're going to end up cutting. And that, that's kind of what I thought last week. But as it plays out, it feels like, James, it feels like it doesn't seem like they're going to. Dan, are no. you surprised uh, on how the Giants have handled this? Or did you think all along that they would take kind of a measured approach and take it day by day and, and kind of sort everything out? My first thought was just because of the way things go in the NFL now, whenever there seems to be anything that could be a public relations nightmare with this kind of stuff and, and the severity of it, teams usually just move on. It doesn't seem like the Giants are going to do that. Are you surprised how the Giants have handled this? Uh, from the PR front, I think they handled it well on Thursday because when it first came out, you know, James obviously was the first one to report that it was a domestic violence uh, incident. Uh, and so I think it was a, a wise move to have Josh Brown go out there and meet the media. And, you know, he obviously downplayed it. So I think it could have just died then. Obviously, so many more details came out after that initial press conference that now I don't think they've handled it that well. I think the kind of dismissive attitude, you know, everyone from John Mara to Jerry Reese, uh, you know, Brown himself, I'll give him credit, at least waiting in the locker room for reporters to say no comment, which doesn't sound like much, but a lot of guys would just kind of skirt out the back door. Uh, and then McAdoo just kind of stuck to his comments. But like I said, Reese and Mara didn't comment at all. I just think that there's so much out there, and James might be able to add to kind of his thoughts on why they haven't uh, commented. It's not a good look to just say, oh, this will just go away. Uh, it's certainly something that a lot of people have strong opinions on. Um, there's a lot of gray area here because what was, what's allegations, what was charged, all, you know, all that type of stuff. And obviously the Giants are privy to that information. Now, they might have their reasons for not sharing it, but if you don't share it, you just lead to speculation. And again, this isn't something that's just going to go away, I don't think. So I don't think they've handled that great since that initial press conference on Thursday. Yeah, James, what's your take on that? I agree with Dan. I mean, I feel like when it first started and you first threw out the report, I feel like the Giants kind of did the best they could in the mm -hmm. moment to um, to get out in front of it, to explain, to, to give their side of what they know or, or didn't know. But since then, I mean, I just found it strange when, you know, John Mary was there on Saturday and, and the basically said what he said or didn't say anything about the situation. Um, how do you think the Giants have handled this, James? I agree with Dan. I don't think they have handled this as well as they can. You know, from, from being around a team and talking to people, the impression I get is the Giants feel that their action of keeping Josh Brown on the roster and having the head coach come out and publicly support him should speak louder than any explanation they would give. Um, I don't agree with that. I think that fans and the whole world deserve some sort of explanation. And I understand that they might look at it as a privacy thing or a confidentiality thing. And, but I think someone beyond what McAdoo said has got to come up and say something. Um, Dan, I wasn't there when, when John Mara made the comment to the reporters. I, I was over at McAdoo's uh, thing. Dan said that it wasn't like John was like, really firmly saying, I might talk about this next week. It seemed like John has kind of made that as an aside, as a comment. Um, I think there's a chance that John, and I think it would be John, Mara, will eventually address this in some capacity. I don't think it's a guarantee, but I think that if, if they are going to address it, 
I think it would be John. Now, I, you know, another thing, you know, just for readers and listeners, when you have a case like this, everything that's being reported in the media is a hard, I'm not going to say fact, but it's in a police document. It's in a public record. There's no sources say in a story like this. Everything we're reporting is coming from public documents that we've obtained from the police, from the prosecutor's office, that detail information that they took. So everything you see reported on this story is coming from official public documents that any individual can go request. That's the way public records work. Now, a lot of fans have said, well, we're only getting one side of the story. We're only getting his ex-wife's side of the story. That's true. But there may be another side to the story, but no one so far is willing to explain the other side of the story. We've talked to Josh Brown. We've talked to John Mayer, Jerry Reese, Ben McAdoo. Phone calls have been placed to Josh Brown's agent, to his attorneys, not just by Dan and I, but by every reporter that covers the team for the most part. There, no one's presenting the other side of the story. So what you're seeing reported is what we have as fact, and that is the documentation in the public records and in the police records. Yeah, and right. I think that's a key point because uh, not that they, they don't have any obligation to come out and say anything, but I think it's a little bit of an arrogant stance if we're going to, hey, we're keeping them. So obviously we're right. You know, <laughs> I think you have to kind of show your work a little bit because obviously the Giants know more than what are just in the documents that reporters have been able to obtain. They've talked to Josh Brown. I'm sure they've talked to plenty of other people. So why are you so comfortable with it? Ben McAdoo says it's a case-by-case uh, decision on something like this. But then he won't explain what it is about this case that makes it different. And clearly the NFL, I mean, they have a six-game minimum for a domestic violence incident. But with this, they only gave him one game. So clearly they're mitigating factors. You know, I don't know if they're just trying to protect, like you know, James said, some privacy issues. But when it blows up like this, it's very tough to now just say, well, that's it. We're going to just leave it where it is. And the thing I keep coming back to, too, is this obviously happened a long time ago. And Josh Brown had a good season last year, but he was a free agent. They could have just, you know, wiped their hands, walked away. This isn't a star player that you're building your future on. He's a 37-year-old kicker. And, you know, in the offseason, they had the opportunity to just cut ties. The fact that they brought him back is very interesting. Again, maybe that speaks to there's a lot more to the story. But I just think it, it, it wouldn't be the worst idea to maybe share uh, some of those details. And not only did they bring him back, but he, he was still under investigation, it appears, in Washington State, when they resigned, they resigned him. I believe on April 18th of this year, we obtained a, a letter from the prosecutor office, the county prosecutor, on May 24th, where he says we can't continue to pursue these uh, additional allegations that his ex-wife made. Because I think that's another thing that readers and listeners have to know is there's a timeline here. Josh Brown was arrested on May 22nd, 2015. Uh, the one charge of domestic violence that he was booked on, was dismissed on the 27th. On May 28th, 2015, his ex-wife had an interview with a detective, with a victim advocate, with a deputy prosecuting attorney, where she made the additional allegations. At that point, from this letter we've obtained, it appears that the prosecutor's office and the detective started to work on an investigation to see if they were potentially going to press charges against Josh Brown for those prior incidents. And, you know, the NFL, I think the, if you want to criticize the NFL for what they did in this situation, I think the one, from what I understand, know and understand at this point, the valid criticism I think you can make is the league should have suspended him for that six-game baseline and said, we'll take our chances on appeal, and if the NFLPA wants to take us to court, so be it. We'll let it come out in the wash. But we're making a stance. We're suspending him for six games. 
The NFL's explanation that they couldn't get cooperation on the prior allegations that they were aware of, so they could only discipline him based on the facts of the arrest that was made. I buy that because that prosecutor's letter makes very clear that, one, Josh Brown's ex-wife, it intimates, wasn't cooperating with their investigation. And we know the NFL said she wouldn't cooperate in an interview with their investigators. And two, if the prosecutor's office is investigating a criminal case against Josh Brown, why would they that hand over their evidence to the NFL at the same time and allow the NFL to interfere in their investigation? So I think what the NFL is saying that we couldn't really corroborate these extra allegations because no one would the, – the, the ex-wife wouldn't interview with us and then the police wouldn't hand over their documentation, that adds up to me. I think you can make the argument that the NFL should have suspended him for six games and just let it come out from there. But I think they are right in the sense that they couldn't address those concerns because no one would work with them. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, usually in these cases, the NFL always looks bad. In this one, I feel like the Giants look worse than the NFL because all the hoops, like you said there, James, the NFL had to go through for this. So, all right, let's wrap this part of the conversation, and then we'll move on to the Giants and everything else going on with the team because I'm sure our listeners don't want to you know, have us talk about this the entire episode. But it obviously is the biggest story around the Giants right now for an unfortunate reason. Do you guys think this is over now uh, and the Giants will just – stick by their stance and move on. I mean, I think back to the Ray Rice thing, and I'm not comparing them. And I'm not saying this is exactly like that. But when the, when the Ray Rice thing happened, and obviously the video changed everything, but the first stance the Ravens had was they're standing by Ray Rice. And then public perception and all and the cries for what just happened and what everyone knew, that changed everything. The bottom line was, though, they took one stance, and then a couple days later, they changed their stance. Do you guys get the sense the Giants are just – you know, this is what they believe, and they believe in Josh Brown. Dan, you mentioned they re-signed him in the offseason. Or do you think there is a chance here over the next couple of weeks the Giants do change their minds on this player? Dan, we'll start with you on this. Uh, yeah, no, I think that ship has kind of sailed. I mean, I think the time to cut him probably would have been Friday after everything came out. And again, but that's assuming they didn't know this stuff, which, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they did know. So, uh, you know, clearly when Jerry Reese and John Mara just kind of declined comment and they're just – I think they're just hoping it goes away. I mean, I think that, again, they did sign this guy two years, $4 million. I don't think they plan to just, just cut him because of a little public pressure. I think the feeling is it's one game. You bring in Garrett Hartley or some other veteran, because unfortunately for Tom Obarski, I think the, you know his opportunity sailed wide left with that chip shot he missed on Saturday. Uh, but then I think you figure you know, by week two, you know, maybe it's a little bit more of a story then when Brown makes his comeback from the suspension. But again, he is a kicker. We're not going to be talking to him every day. We're not going to be talking about him every day. You know, obviously, that first time he misses a big kick, uh, there'll be probably more scrutiny than normal. But yeah, I think that unless something new comes out, and that's always a possibility, uh, but at this point, it doesn't seem like anything else is, you know, just bubbling under the surface. It seems like the Giants are content. They've said their piece. You know, McAdoo's, you know, he's already, he wasn't taking any follow up questions on it on Saturday. So uh, I don't think they're going to address it. I think they're going to just hope it, uh, it goes away. And, and then Josh Brown comes back in week two and, and they go forward from there. James, is this over, or do you think there's a, even a slight chance the Giants rethink the whole situation? I mean, as as things currently stand, I don't think they're going to reconsider it. I mean, every indication I have gotten is that the Giants were aware of these allegations that were made in, in, in the police report and in the, the interview transcript. Um, I think the NFL were, was aware of them, too. I just think the NFL basically made a decision of we can't really consider this because we have no 
way to corroborate it. And, you know, Ben McAdoo said it wasn't, he would stay in his lane when he was asked if the Giants did an investigation. Um, I would hope the Giants did an investigation. This was if they didn't. That's just incompetency at its highest level. But, you know, it, the, the Giants seem to have the tact of we understand, we, we, we know that these allegations were made. We looked into them. We have our reasons why we're confident in Josh Brown. Uh, they're not going to tell us what they are, but they, they want the world to know they have them. And so as things currently stand, I don't think they're, they're not going to cut him. No, because it would, to cut him would, would basically be admitting that they screwed up. And we all know the Giants do not like to admit that. So, but, I mean, you know, obviously, like, people are going to keep reporting on this thing. And, uh, you know, if something else big comes out, then maybe things would change. But, you know, I, the vibe I got is the Giants think that pretty much everything that's out there to be, to be discovered has been discovered. So as things currently stand, uh, I, I expect Josh Brown to be the kicker on, on this team from week two forward. All right, let's move on, guys, to uh, what happened on the field on Saturday. You guys were up in Buffalo, an afternoon start, a 4 p.m. start. And if, if people sat down uh, kind of early on a Saturday evening to watch the Giants, well, they walked away probably with a bad taste in their mouth because that was ugly. It was, it's a preseason. We can always throw that out there as a caveat. But it was an ugly day for the Giants, a 21 nothing loss. And it's funny, before the show today, uh, myself and Andrew Zuckerman, who's our producer for the show, behind the scenes, we were looking back last year uh, in our iTunes feed and looking at some of the titles of our episodes and looking back at some of the conversation we had last year. So episode 21, almost a, almost exactly a year ago right now, the title of the episode was Time to Panic or Time to Relax. And a lot of it was about the Giants' offense, their offensive line, the issues they were having in the preseason. We fast forward to now, and here we are again. James, we'll start with you. I mean, you were part of the whole thing last year as well with the Giants. Is it similar to last year? Is it different? What happened Saturday? And really, how worried should Giants fans be, kind of an overall approach to Saturday? Uh, they should be worried. I, there are some legitimate reasons for concern about this team right now. Um, I don't think it's complete panic time because I get the sense they really haven't done a whole heck of a lot of game planning. So far, um, on offense, especially. But, you know, look, the, the offensive line, they couldn't address every... This team had so many issues going into this the past offseason. They couldn't fix all of them in, in one offseason. They made the calculated decision that they could survive with their offensive line, with John Jerry as the right guard, Marshall Newhouse as the right tackle, and Eric Flowers as a... Raw, but they hope improving left tackle. Um, didn't look really good. I mean, Justin Pugh didn't play, but I didn't think Bobby Hart was the problem at left guard on Saturday. Uh, it didn't look good at all on Saturday. And then when the second team offensive line comes in, it, it looks even worse. I think, you know, so yes, the offensive line is a major concern, in my opinion, but I think we have to see them play, hopefully with Pugh healthy, against the Jets with an actual game plan on Saturday night in Snoopy Bowl 6 before we truly say, all right, maybe this is going to be okay, or you got to panic. Dan, should Giants fans be panicking right now? I mean, how bad was that on Saturday? Uh, it was bad. Uh, but, you know, preseason football is often bad. Uh, I, I agree with what James said. I think the reason to be concerned uh, with the offensive line is because it was a concern coming in. You know what I mean? If Eli Manning goes four for nine, I don't think it's time to start – sounding the alarms. I mean, that, you know, that's preseason and that's no big deal. But 
I think the offensive line was a legitimate concern. I know it was a ton of hand wringing. Uh, just <laughs> I was only on the beat for about a month of the off season. I know it was a ton of hand wringing all off season about the offensive line and how Jerry Reese didn't upgrade that right side. And so if you're going in with that view, you see what happens on Saturday. And well, this is you know the worst nightmare that a lot of fans had all off season. So I think that's certainly a legitimate concern. I think there's also plenty of evidence that uh, should you know seasoned fans should know. Don't put too much stock into preseason outcomes. Uh, there's obviously some positives to take away too. Obviously, the defense has looked really good, and and even though they weren't as good on Saturday, they were put in some terrible positions by that you know that woeful offense. So uh, there was definitely uh, you know some areas for concern. Uh, but I think James said too, this third game probably a little more telling. But even at that, you still have to keep in perspective. It's the preseason. Uh, they're not throwing everything out there uh, as far as game plan and preparation. But yeah, the offensive line is the one area that's you know has stood out for the last year, and uh, that certainly hasn't changed based on what they've done these first two preseason games. How did you guys think Ben McAdoo handled the week? I mean, I thought it was it's probably his toughest week, right, as a as a Giants head, as a head coach in the NFL with the Giants here. All things considered, the Josh Brown situation, which we talked a lot about already, uh, and then the game itself. Uh, you know, he I thought it was. He was really blunt after the game, hearing his comments and saying that, you know, basically there's nothing to be positive about. I mean, there's nothing good to take away. He didn't have much to say in terms of a, a long, extended quote about the game because it, was, it wasn't anything good for him to say about it. James, how, do, how have you thought McAdoo handled what probably was his most trying week as a head coach? I thought Ben handled it pretty well. First off, he obviously had made that statement to the New York Post uh, when he got hired, so I thought... I don't know if his explanation about the case-by-case basis or zero tolerance made a total 100% sense, but I thought that he pretty well handled that situation. Uh, I think it's also kind of noteworthy that Ben McAdoo is the only guy who's facing the music while the owner and the GM just say no comment and hide off in the corner. And I thought that he handled that postgame well. I mean, he was blunt. That team was horrible. And, you know, Tom Coughlin would have said the same sort of things, but he would have like basically made it the media's fault that the team was horrible. <laughs> ben didn't, you know, growl at us or act out. Ben just said, "No, we were horrible. There's nothing positive with this." Yeah, that's true. Tom, Tom would have been a little probably a little more surly to everyone around him uh, in the moment that Ben McAdoo was. And to go back to the offense for a second, then we'll talk about maybe some little positives for, from whatever there was positives on Saturday. Um, the offense in general, the first two weeks. I know the first week you didn't have Eli playing. James, you, uh, Dan, you mentioned the, the stats from Eli this past week, but in total, eight turnovers the first two games. They had about 20 something yards in the four series with the first offense on Saturday. Now, the offense hasn't looked good under Ben in each of the last two preseasons. Do you think that plays into this as well? Like maybe this offense and whatever, for whatever reason, they just don't play well in the preseason. Yet, the last two years, I mean, they put up a decent amount of points. So, I guess the question is for you, Dan. At what point do we start really wondering what they are? Is it this coming week against the, the Jets if they don't play well? No, I mean, I'd honestly say it's probably not until week one or okay. week two or week three. Yeah, I, I just, again, it is the preseason. Like you said, they haven't looked good the past two years offensively, and then they went out and had a top 10 offense both years. Uh, I think that we just, you know, we have to cover these games, and, and obviously you're going to take away some, uh, some observations and feelings. But, I mean, you just can't make any – uh, hard, uh, you know, feelings, and this team's doomed based on a bad preseason game, you know, in Buffalo. Like, I just don't think it matters that much. I mean, obviously, the third game carries more weight. The Stars will play more if they're terrible again. Yeah, sure. I mean, there'll be a little more anxiety, but I still think 
uh, especially with a you know a pretty veteran team. I'm not going to be too worried about anything until you see what happens on uh, September 11th. And I think that's fair. And I think that's probably the, the takeaway for most fans right now, though. I think we all know if they look bad on Saturday against the Jets. Oh, the will... panic will. The panic will. I mean, I just the one thing I'll say, I know last year's team wasn't very good. They looked like they looked horrible in the preseason last year. And then they outplayed the Dallas Cowboys for 58 minutes. So you never know. It's football. Preseason is kind of a weird thing. I think that's a good way to put it. It's, it's a very weird thing, the preseason. You try to get into it. You try to take something away. And then three weeks later, you forget what you even thought uh, at that point. All right, let's try to get into some positives here off the game. Um, and let's start with Victor Cruz. Although he wasn't in the game, he did warm up. And he's the Giants hope he'll be back at practice and, and really – you know, really doing some stuff this week before the Jets game. Thoughts on Cruz just kind of seeing him out there, right, James, in, in a in a warm-up setting before a game, which you haven't seen in a long time. I, I don't think I've ever seen Victor Cruz in a game jersey <laughs> on my time on the beat. I, I don't – I mean, he was on the trip to Cincinnati last year, and he practiced in Cincinnati, but I don't believe he suited up. Or if he did, I, I, I didn't see it. So, yeah, I thought that was a sight. Like, hey, look, you know, after – a really rough 72 hours for the Giants. I think they got a little glimmer of hope when I looked down the field and there was number 80, you know, in warmups. My thing with Victor Cruz is we're taping this on a Monday. The Giants are going to have sort of a, a jog, you know, a conditioning slash, you know, game preparation practice on Monday. Then they're going to have, you know, three real football practices, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday will be sort of their, you know, Friday, tam- you know, tamp down day. Obviously, they'll have their walkthrough, then they'll play the Jets. I think Victor Cruz, he's got to practice all four days this week, Monday through Thursday. He's got to get through all four practices, and he has to you know, be out there actively doing things. And if he does all those things, and we, Thursday's practice ends and Victor Cruz is, has no health issues, then I will finally say, yeah, he might play against Saturday against the Jets. But he's got to, I have to see him get through this week of practice before – I say, okay, he's going to play because we've been here before where he's just had one week of practice in between him and finally being back on a field in the game, and it hasn't worked out in the past. So is this finally the week that it's going to work out? Uh, I think this has to be the work week it's going to work out. Dan, give me a positive off of Saturday outside of Victor Cruz, uh, you know, running around out there and actually looking like he was part of the team. An actual positive from the loss against Buffalo. There had to be something, right? Yeah, I mean, like I touched on, it wasn't all bad. I, I thought the first team defense was pretty good. I mean, obviously there are a few breakdowns, but uh, Landon Collins was a guy who was flying all around the field. I mean, they give up that long pass to get deep into uh, their territory. I think they're inside the five, and he's in on all three tackles, including the you know the third down play where he forces a fumble. I mean, that's the type of play that uh, is really like a next-level type play for a second-year player to make. Um, and then I also thought Jonathan Casillas has had a great preseason, had a great training camp. Had the interception in the first preseason game. He was flying around. He's shown a lot more speed than I expected to see. And I think, you know, people have been saying who saw him last year, he must have been a little banged up last year because he's playing with another gear. Uh, you know, Olivia Vernon uh, had another sack. Oh, he had a pressure in the first week, had a sack this week. So I think there's plenty of signs on this defense that it's, it's going to be a lot better. Um, so, I mean, if you want to positive, it's, it's pretty much all on that side of the ball. It's not too much offensively you can highlight, but – I think there's definitely been some glimmers defensively, and it's certainly not a finished product. You know, this isn't you know the the greatest defense ever quite yet or anything like that. But definitely some positive signs on that side of the ball. How about the safeties, James? What have you thought about them? The young pairing, Landon Collins um, and Thompson back there. I mean, that's I think a, a big 
at least for me, it's a really intriguing pairing because they've drafted those guys pretty high the last couple of years. They're both young. If the defense is going to be good this year, or at least middle of the pack, they need the safeties to be much better than they played last year, both Collins improving and Thompson coming in and, and showing something. What did you think about them on Saturday? Well, Eli Manning's favorite website, Pro Football Focus, just uh, put out its list, and they said that Collins was like the best safety of all the games in the and the preseason games in the NFL this week. So that's a good sign, I think, for the Giants. I mean, whatever you think of PFF aside, and Thompson, I thought he played really well. I was very impressed, and I mentioned this in my film review with his tackle for a loss of Shady McCoy, a seven-yard loss in the backfield. He didn't even get it. He didn't get a great jump on the ball. The ball was snapped. He was pretty much two yards off the ball. But he, he took a perfect angle so that the pulling guard couldn't cut him off. He ta- broke down, tackled low, got McCoy to the ground. Um, he gave up that touchdown pass in the end zone. I don't know if it was 100% his fault. It seemed to me like he kind of half played the ball, half played the man. But I think the Giants did feel very good about that safety tandem. You know, Thompson really hasn't made any mistakes this offseason, uh, excuse me, preseason. And Collins has played well. So you're right. After last year and the major weakness safety was, I think the Giants have to think that they've got significant improvements on the way. Yeah, they'd have to hope so, right? And the defense could be much better if all these areas are improved there. Um, Give me a player, Ichi, before we wrap up this episode, that stood out to you on Saturday, whether it be in a positive way or a negative way. Just someone, like when you walked out of the press box Saturday night, you said, like, this guy or his name was kind of on your mind heading down to the postgame and all that. Dan, we'll start with you and then James. A player, each of you, that stood out, and it could be positive, it could be negative, or it could be that they didn't do much, and you could take that for what it is. Uh, I think if we're going to go kind of for the whipping boy for Saturday, I'm going to go with Larry Donnell. It was a really rough performance for the tight end. I mean, I mean, listen, most of us who are cover football, we, we know about the game. We're not offensive line experts. I think that's the one area where a lot of us probably struggle to grasp. But, you know, he's playing tight end, and to the casual observer, live, it was obvious how bad of a game he had. And then you went back and watched the tape again, as I did yesterday. And, I mean, he just missed on some blocks. It's one thing to get beat and get a piece of a guy. I mean, he would go out to hit the linebacker and just completely whiff. And, I mean, obviously that, that resulted in uh, a lot of negative plays in the running game, whereas, I mean, you got to at least give your running back a chance, get a piece of a guy. Uh, so that stood out. I mean, he's obviously no more as a receiving option, but he has to be a, a lot better to even be on the field if you're going to block like that. I mean, obviously, uh, I think it was an exceptionally bad game for him, but, but that's like you said, if you want to talk about something that stood out, it was the fact that Larry Donnell and Will Ty wasn't much better. Uh, the, the blocking of the tight ends was a, a major weakness on Saturday. James, how about you? I'll give you a positive and a negative because I don't want to end this t- podcast on a complete down note. Um, I'll start with the negative. Ryan Nassib, to me, I think that the preseason performances are concerning. I do think they should be taken in context. He's had a lot of pressure in these past two preseason games. Uh, He's had a couple of balls dropped. But Nassib didn't look good in practice at all uh, after the Dolphins game and the week leading up to the Bills game. And and when I thought at first it wasn't really a concern. Hey, it was just an off night. But I think the Giants have to be a little bit concerned that you know, Ben McAdoo said it on this conference call on Sunday. It's a little bit physical. It's a little bit mental. I think the Giants have to make sure that they don't enter the regular season with a backup quarterback who's got the yips if, God forbid, something happens to Eli Manning. I just think they've got to get Nassib right. You hope that he's never going to play a meaningful snap, but at the same time, you have to have him prepared to play a meaningful snap. So 
if I were McAdoo, I wouldn't play Nassib against the Jets. I would just, you know, the starters are going to play a lot of the game. Let Logan Thomas do the rest of the mop-up duty, although he is not much better than Ryan Nassib uh, is. His, his two interceptions on Saturday were atrocious. But let Nassib clear his head a little bit. Try to get him right before that final preseason game against the Patriots because while you hope that you never have to have Nassib play quarterback, he might have to if the worst happens, and you have to make sure he's prepared for that. My positive guy, I know fans are not high on Andre Williams, but I think he's looked pretty good these past two preseason games. You know, he still has those plays where he'll only get a yard or two or get stopped for no gain, but he's also broken off several, you know, 10, 12, 14, 16-yard runs. He seems to be reading blocks well. He's moving quicker. He hits the hole fast. I think he's a guy who is giving the Giants a lot of hope that he can kind of revitalize his career this season. He always, James, Andre Williams always seems to be a guy that everyone has such a strong opinion on one, one way or the other. And it's, I think it's funny because he hasn't really done much in the NFL yet to, to kind of get that. But for whatever reason, whenever he does well, people are like, oh, yeah, here, here we go. And then if he doesn't, uh, and the yards per carrier down, it's always like, oh, this guy just can't play at all. Yeah. You've always seemed to be more – I feel like you're a supporter of his. At least you believe he can be productive for the Giants if they give him a chance. Yes, I think that he has clear – physical skills. I mean, when we were at the Senior Bowl, and I was talking to a uh, an NFL assistant on another team who who knows Ben McAdoo, and he, we were just talking about the offense in general, not, not even the running backs, just the offense in general. And this assistant, unprompted, brought up Andre Williams and said, that kid has talent. People in the league see something in Andre Williams that the fans don't. And that's why I think the Giants are sticking to them. I think he's definitely – his body transformation, I think, has him a lot more effective. I think he was always in tremendous physical shape, but I think he maybe was a little bit too big, a little bit too, you know, built last year. He looks way better this year. But, you know, that's the thing. And, and, and just to tell fans, Andre Williams, and Dan can attest to this, is one of the nicest, smartest, most thoughtful guys in the Giants locker room. So I, I've, I've always been puzzled. Yes, he, he had a very disappointing 2015 season, but – I'm just puzzled by the the vitriol, it seems, that some in the fan base have for him. Yeah, he certainly gets it. It, it is odd, and, and you know, I'm sure as the season goes along, uh, there will be more of it one way or the other for him. And if he plays well, Giants fans, I'm, I'm sure we'll start to love him. All right, so it was a crazy week for the Giants. Uh, unfortunate uh, situation with Josh Brown and what happened there. And then the game itself, 21-0 loss up in Buffalo. So, guys, this week, uh, a regular week of practice leading into Saturday night against the Jets. And... This is the third one, right? This is the big one, if there if that even exists in the preseason. So let's wrap up with this. Our last one uh, for this episode. Give me one thing, final preseason game that matters for each of you that you're looking for, that you think the Giants need to show. And again, back to the caveat, it is the preseason. But if there's one thing maybe you haven't seen so far this preseason that, hey, it'd be nice to see it just to see they can do it or be consistent or, you know, kind of, show it to fans before week one, what would it be? We'll start with Dan, and we'll wrap with James. One thing you'd like to see from the Giants on Saturday night against the Jets. All right, I'm going to go with these young wide receivers who, I mean, people probably think we're lying because we've been documenting how great they've looked in training camp. You know, the Tavares Kings and Roger Lewis's, Darius Powell's, all these guys have been making plays throughout camp. And then the two games hasn't shown up on the field at all. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive struggles around them. It's it's tough to make plays when the quarterbacks are getting sacked or you know throwing the ball at your feet. 
Uh, at the same time, though, you got to make some plays at some point. And I think Roger Lewis uh, had some opportunities on Saturday and didn't come through. Uh, Tavares King was the, the first option as the third wide receiver, uh, you know, along with Beckham and Sterling Shepard. So he's, he's probably in the best position to make some more plays if, if he's going to play a lot with Eli on Saturday. But I just think it's time for one of those guys to kind of step up beyond what they're doing uh, in practice because at the end of the day, you need to show, it up, show up with it on the field. So, you know, again, we've talked about these guys a lot. Uh, time for one or two of them to step up and really show that they deserve a roster spot. James, what are you looking for? Saturday night against the Jets, Snoopy Bowl 6, I believe you said it was. Yes. What are you looking for? Well, I just, you know, if, if the Giants are going to bring the Snoopy Trophy back to the other side of the parking lot, <laughs> that's one thing I'm looking for. But two, look, I would think the Giants really have to show that they can run the football. They have not been able to do that so far, except for a, you know, a couple quick hits here or there. And we all know the Giants are going to have to run the football to be successful this season because, you know, the four-minute offense with, with eating out clock, running out games, the, the red zone, the running game is so key to all these areas where the Giants have to improve to be a playoff contender. So I think Buffalo was abysmal. It was a disaster. I, I want to see the Giants really get out there and show that they can run the football effectively behind their offensive line because barring a surprise, you know, availability – I think the offensive line, what you see is what you're going to get this year. It probably is. And for Giants fans, that could be an okay thing. It could be one uh, that is a concern all year long. So we'll be watching on Saturday night and obviously all week long, following you guys uh, from practice and everything you write on NJ.com. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Joe. The, the countdown is on to my first Snoopy Bowl. I can barely contain my excitement. I, I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> uh, Snoopy Bowl is coming up on Saturday. We'll be back next week. Thanks to all of you for listening to Episode 61. You can listen to our show, download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Any way you want to listen, you can listen. Give us a rating on iTunes. It helps the show grow as we move forward here. And for all of you Rutgers fans out there, here's a sneak peek at our new podcast debuting on August 30th on nj.com it's called rebuilding rutgers from the ashes you can subscribe right now on itunes stitcher and soundcloud i i want to build a first class program here this is a new time what, what i'm committed to is a new time a new chapter and that new chapter i'm going to be inviting a lot of people to invest in our future we need to create some positive energy around this program it is year number three in the big 10 for rutgers football but this is the start of a new era this in-depth podcast will take you inside the new regime. Welcome to Rebuilding Rutgers from the Ashes.